0: Um, okay, so we are uh, doing a little one-week series. In fact, next week, uh, if, if you're new here, let me kind of tell you where we're going. Um, next week, we're kicking off a brand new series, uh, and I think the title of it is like The Last 24, or um, I wanted to call it Bainty Quatro, but you know, that's, you know trying to be multicultural here. Anyways, um, the the reason we're doing that is because we're going to kick off kind of leading up to Easter, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Um, In fact, if you've ever read the Gospels, um, John specifically takes a ton of time to record, uh, but all the other Gospels as well record a lot of detail around the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Um, And so we're going to do that. And then actually, and I shouldn't say this to you know, put the cart before the horse, Easter Sunday, we're going to kick off a brand new series, and I'm just so excited about that. I want to tell you about it months in advance so you can plan and prepare. Um, We are going to be talking about starting points. And the idea behind the starting point series, um, as, we, as we finish the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, is basically to say, what does it look like to come to an adult starting point in faith? What does it look like to come to an adult starting point in faith? What happens when the real world um, realities meet what perhaps for you is a Sunday school theology, and many of us grew up in churches, and you know elementary school, and middle school, and you, were, got, you went to Sunday school, and you went to a bunch of different stuff. And at the end of it, um, you had this basic kind of Sunday school theology, and then you met the real world, and you walked away from your faith, or you wandered away from your faith, or perhaps you never had faith. And so what does it look like as an adult to come to a starting point in faith, but That's a different Sunday for a different sermon for a different Sunday. So um, today we are going to be talking about traditions. And if you've been with us for a little while, you may have heard of this. Um, We do a reoccurring series from time to time where we come back around this idea that for many of us growing up in the church or growing up around churches, you know, for many of us, if if you were just kind of raised in the South, you didn't even have to go to church. You just know about church because everybody you know goes to church. And from time to time, they talk about church. And So the idea is as you go to church, as you experience what would be you know, the Christian religion, perhaps the you know, Judeo-Christian monotheistic idea of God, you experience a lot, a lot, a lot of traditions. You experience people who do different things in different ways but with a lot of similarities. Almost every church sings Almost every church prays. Almost every church you know, has the public reading of Scripture. Almost every church do, does a, a number of different things as they gather together. And here's what's interesting. The church I grew up in had tons and tons and tons of imagery. But no one ever stopped to explain why. No one ever stopped to explain this is why we do what we do as a church. And the unfortunate thing is, for many of us growing up in church... We were told to not ever ask the question, why, as it relates to God, and especially Christianity. You're always taught, don't ask why, don't ask why, don't ask why, don't ask why. Because there might not be an answer. Maybe nobody ever said this, but this was kind of the general idea. That if you ask too many why questions, you might stump the teacher. And if you stump the teacher, you might disprove Christianity. If you disprove Christianity, then we don't have a church anymore. So hey, don't ask the question why. Why? Well, one of the things that I love to do is ask the question why. And one of the things that I try to encourage you every opportunity I get is to ask why questions. Because underneath those thoughts about why are oftentimes unbelievable realities about the faith that you have and that I have about our God. And so today, what I wanted to do is discuss this idea of small groups. Because almost no matter what church you go to, no matter what denomination you're a part of, There are groups of people who meet. For some church, you know, you grew up in a church perhaps, you know, you're in Baptist world. Like I grew up a lot of my life in, and you had Sunday school, you know, and if you went to Sunday school enough times, you know, you got your little thing on the sticker board, and they had this like massive, everybody grew up with a massive felt board, you know what I'm talking about? And you got, maybe like, if if, if you were a guy, maybe you got like little like Noah ark boats, you know, and you put them on, you know, and girl, you've got like, I don't know, a rainbow because God loves, you know. But anyway, so, you know, you kind of put those things on there and you showed up enough times. We never showed up enough times, but I always saw that kid who showed up enough times I wanted to punch him in the throat because I wanted the prize that he's got, and, you know. But you showed up enough times and you gathered in groups, or as adults, you gathered in groups in Sunday school. Um, for some of us, you know, for, for another, you know, kind of church background, um, from an Episcopal church standpoint, they don't do, you know, Sunday school or community groups. They have what's called foyers, where people would go from house to house, and so maybe your parents grew up hosting foyers groups, where they would go from house to house, and everybody would go and have dinner at that house, and dinner at that house, and dinner at that house. For some of you, you know, you're in the non-denom world, and you know, you never know anything beside a pastor who wore flip-flops and played a guitar, you know, and so your pastor, you know, you know, he he's sat on a stool, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so organic. You know, <laughs> invite my friends. And so, you know, that, 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 that's your pastor, and they've always had, you know, community groups. Or for some of them, it's called cell groups. Or for some of us, it's called, you know, small groups. And it's a thousand different names. But one of the things that we've all experienced in our view, and honestly, honestly, even if you're not a part of the church, even if you're not a part of the church, even if you're here just simply investigating the idea of church and Christianity, probably somebody at some point has invited you to a small group, perhaps a Bible study, perhaps a community group. But someone has invited you. And for many of us, we go and we attend, but we really don't have any clue why. And the reason why is because we think that that's something that we ought to do. Because someone on the, on the stage said, hey, if you're going to get plugged in here, we want you to be a part of groups. Hey, if you're going to get plugged in here, we want you to go to Sunday school. Hey, if you're going to get plugged in here, we want you to be a part of foyers. But very, very seldom do we ever stop and say, and here is why this has been around since the inception of the church. Now, what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have together is tell you why we put so much organizational importance around groups. I want to tell you why since the beginning of the church, this has been a part of the church. I want to tell you why almost every church that you go to has some form of this. And I'm going to tell you why at the end of this, especially if you're a Christian, I think every single person should be a part of a group. Every single person who considers themselves a Christ follower should be a part of a group somewhere, whether it's this church or another church somewhere else. I just want to give you the reason why. So for the rest of your life, when you hear someone make that announcement, you know why, why, why in the world they're saying it. Now, let me give you kind of the ballpark summary so in case you're, you know, kind of already tuned out at this point And you're thinking about the game because you're going to opening weekend this weekend. And you're you know, just, you know, they're serving beer for $3. Oh, my gosh. You know, cool, cool, cool. Talk, talk. Keep going, preacher. Get quick. So let me, let, let, me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this is important. Who you, who you spend your time with, who your community is, ultimately determines who you will become. Who you spend your time with ultimately determines who you become. Who you spend your time with ultimately determines who you will become. And that's not new news for any of us. In fact, many of us, were products of that. In fact, all of us, to a degree, are products of that. This is why, this is why for some of you, you know, Perhaps, you know, you grew up in a big city, and I see this, you know, in the, in the small town that I worked in called Cottondale. You grew up in a big city, and everybody wears flat bills, you know. And then you go to a small town, and everybody's wearing, you know, duck boots and camo. And you're like, why in the world, you know, I mean, why do you feel like you're in a need to hide while you're getting gas with camouflage on? Just full body, that just makes no sense. You're at the Tom Thumb getting a corn dog and some gas station pizza, and you are decked out in camo. But yet, then you go spend a lot of time in a small town, and you're like, dude. That new mossy oak is pretty dope. You know, I don't know if you've actually put words to that. But for some of you, you know, it's, it's, it's a different thing. For some of you, you know, you thought, man, people, people that wear, you know, slim jeans, because, you know, skinny. Nobody wears skinny jeans anymore. Your people who wear slim jeans, you know, that's so dumb, that's so weird. You know, guys, you know, you're, you know, you lift. So you're like, it's so feminine, you know. And then you go to a church with skinny jeans, and you're like, man, my jeans feel really loose right now, you know. <laughs> but, and, 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 and for all of us, it, it's different. You know, you experience this maybe in a little bit more of a serious way. Perhaps for you, you know, you were in high school, you were in middle school, you were somewhere along your educational path, and you thought about some things that you perhaps thought you would never do. I'm never going to cross this line. I'm never going to go there morally. And then the next stage of life hit, and everybody in that stage of life was doing what you said that you would never do. And because you hung out with those people, not because you're a bad person, because you hung out with those people, you started to do some of the things that you thought you would never do. In fact, let's, let's be honest. Many of us, many of us, the reality is, and this isn't, you know, condemning, this isn't you're a bad person, but many of us, myself included, have done things that we never thought we would do, simply because of the people that we spent time around. And the opposite true as well. In fact, statistic, our study after study shows this. You want to make more money in life? You want to know how to make more money? It's not to change your major. It's to hang out with rich people. That in the next 10 years, you will begin to make the median income of the five people you spend the most time around with. You want to know who you're going to become? Look at your five best friends. You want to know the people who have the most influence on your life? Look at the five people that you spend the most time around. And study after study after study after study show that is who you will become. Because we all, as people not as Christians, not as not Christians, have the same tendency. That who we spend our time around is who we become. Who we spend our time around is who we become. Now, I want to take you to a place in, in, in the scriptures, to kind of read you this account of something that happens in the life of the early church. So to kind of set the stage for we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And as, you know, kind of kick off the thing, the context for this, this thing is, is really what brings it a lot of depth to me. So in the story of God, um, many of you know the Old Testament. Old Testament's happened. Many of you know that Jesus you know, showed up one day, a you know, little baby Jesus, and you know, performed a bunch of miracles, validated who he was, did a bunch of teachings, were incredible teachings, sometimes were incredibly challenging teachings, and everybody ran off, but gained a lot of momentum in re- ministry and then died. And after he died, everyone scattered, but then he did something that no one thought he would do. He came back from the dead. It was just a, a, a phenomenal thing that happened. And after he comes back from the dead, over a period of about 40 days, he shows back up. And shows up, 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 and shows up up again. And after his last time showing up, or in his last time showing up, he gives the early church, he gives his apostles, his core 10, 11, 12 people, this mission. And the mission is to go, to go, and be my witnesses, or go, and make disciples of all nations. In other words, hey, I want you 12 people, I know this sounds crazy for you, I want you to go and make disciples of the entire world. I want you to teach the entire world what I have taught. you. Know, we've talked about this before. This is in an age where they didn't have cars, planes, trains, and cell phones. There was no Twitter where they could tweet John 3.16 and be like, I just spread the gospel. This means that somebody had to get on their donkey and ride if you were, you know, affluent. Or you had to get on your, you know, sandals and walk to the ends of the earth and teach people everything that Jesus had taught you. And there's only 12 of you to start off. I mean, insurmountable odds that happen. He said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait. And I want you to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to be my witnesses. And so they waited. And waited, and waited. And then one day, but a month later, a few weeks later, the Holy Spirit comes down. And all of a sudden, they all start talking, and it's the craziest scene that it's early in the morning, and they all start talking in different languages. And it's, it's this funny account, as you, as you read the book of Acts, it's a funny account, because they're all talking in different languages, and so it sounds like Babel, but there's people from all different languages that are hearing, but they understand that guy, but they don't understand that guy, and they understand that guy, but not that guy. And somebody from the back of the crowd just yells out, are they drunk? Like, literally, that happens in the Bible. Seriously, read it for yourself. And in that whole thing, Peter stands up, and Peter gives this sermon. I mean, you talk about it. You talk about you know something you want to invite your friends to. You talk about something that you know everyone wants to hear. Peter gives this sermon where literally thousands of people, a few thousand people, decide to give their life to Jesus. They decide that Jesus is the Messiah. They decide that the Old Testament pointed toward it. They decided that he himself became it. And that when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for the sins of the world so that anybody and everybody who would place their faith, their hope, and their trust in him would have ultimate forgiveness and eternal life. And thousands of people came to know him. And what I want to read you is what happened as soon as that happened. Because the early church had no frame of reference. They didn't have books to read. They didn't have classes to go to. They didn't have tons and tons of church history to look back on. This is the immediate response when thousands of people come to believe in Jesus. Now let me read it for you. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 41. The tail end of Peter's sermon. So those who received his words. Talking about Peter who's just getting done with this big sermon. Those who received his words. Those who received his words were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That means about 3,000 people at the tail end of this sermon. You know, and again, we in church world, we've done it a, a ton of different ways. You know, you know, bow your head or raise your hand or run in a circle you know, and accept Jesus. And at the end of this thing, you know, 3,000 people. Now let, me, let me just tell you from a church perspective, well, you know, church leader perspective, what this does. This... Is unbelievably stressful. You know, people look at growth and they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's such a blessing." (laughs) I'm like, "More members, more problems." You know what I mean? I mean, that's just you know, three thousand. I mean, there was twelve of us now. There's three thousand of us. We have no clue what to do with three thousand people whom we now have the opportunity. We now have the responsibility to shepherd their spiritual life and their spiritual walk, and how the world we begin to teach them everything that Jesus you have taught. And this is what happens immediately in the wake of that. Verse 42. And they, being all those people, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. So, so, So here's what they did first step. When all these people came to know Jesus... They began to devote themselves. They realized that if this is true, that if this is real, then we are to devote ourselves to knowing what Jesus knew, to hearing what Jesus taught. And these apostles, these apostles, these early Christians, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the apostles were what we would consider in in the New Testament the disciples. They're the 12 guys, and one kind of flew off the deep end, and you know, it ended poorly for him. So about 11 guys at this point, and these were the guys who in the early church were like the rock stars because they walked every single day for a few years with Jesus. And they devoted themselves to understanding what the apostles had to say because they believed that if Jesus was the center of your life, then I ought to know what he said. And on top of that, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to spending time with one another, to gathering together with each other, to learn about and to hear about and to talk about what the apostles said that Jesus said. Because in their time, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Philippians and the Colossians and the Galatians and the Ephesians. They didn't have 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. All of that would come in time. But at this time, all they had was what these guys said. That Jesus said. So they devoted themselves to meeting together. Continues on. Into the breaking of the bread, in the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In verse 44, this interesting thing happened in light of that. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, as soon as you hear that, you know, for some of you, you read that. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so inspiring. You know, for the rest of us we're like, you're such a hippie. You know, you're going to sell everything, you know, have a big communal thing and everybody, you know, whatever. I mean, that just kind of sounds so weird. But here, here, here's what happened. Here's what happened. It's, it's fascinating. As they began to investigate the teachings of Jesus. As they began to devote themselves to spending time with one another. As they began to devote themselves to prayer. As they began to devote themselves to one another and communally learning about God and the things that Jesus has said. Because for good grief, if Jesus said it, if we believe that he is the son of God, we want to know about it. And all of a sudden, this spirit of generosity broke out. You want to know why? Not because a pastor gave a sermon and said, you know, you ought to be more generous. Not because a pastor gave a sermon or because Paul stood up because Paul wasn't Paul at the time or because Peter stood up or because James stood up or because Bartholomew stood up and said, you ought to share. No. It's that they realized, I care about this and you care about this. And since we both care about this, we kind of have a tendency to care about each other. Now, that might sound odd to you. It might sound a little bit different, you know, especially again, if you're new to faith. But let me tell you, we've all experienced this. We've probably all experienced Let me tell you, about, you know, a story about my experience with this. This was when I was, you know, in college, so one of those, you know, eight years that I was an undergrad, And I went to every single football game, I went to every single football game on one of the years that Florida State went seven and six. So those of you guys who only know us as like, you know, decades of win streaks, then, you know, you can go to another church. But for me, you know, I suffered through that that time period. There was one particular time where we were playing in Miami, in Miami, it was one of the season openers, and as we're all, you know, know, kind of friend group, and you all go down in a car, and you don't sleep at all, and it's terribly unwise, but you do it anyways because we're 20, you know, who cares, you know. Yo, love. We didn't have that at the time. So, you know, we all drive down there, and we're going, and, you know, we're going to the game, and if you've ever been to Miami to the Orange Bowl, you know, you kind of got this, I don't know what it is about, you know, Miami. I love the city of Miami, by the way. Um ask Will Smith about it but you know I love Miami and as you know we go down to Miami and you go to the actual Orange Bowl Stadium itself there's like this sense of like I don't know but we're about to get into a fight I don't know if you've ever been to Miami and experienced that in Miami but you're like just bowed up like you could be the most spiritual person you're like I'm about to lay hands on people you know in a very <laughs> spiritual sense and so we go to Miami and we're going through the game it's a close game the entire time and you if you've ever been to a, a weight game you know this you know this you're in a weight game there's people around you who cheer for the same team as you who you don't know but you feel like they're like your best friend you know what i mean and so so no lie so we're sitting there and it's starting and it's raining on this particular game and we're just sitting there and we're going nuts and we got kind of ponchos on but you're kind of half wet and it really doesn't matter if you got a poncho on because if it rains for long enough you're gonna get soaked anyways because it's like a 99 cent poncho but you're sitting there screaming 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 the game's, close, the games close the games close the games close the games close all of a sudden it gets towards the end of the game and we you know we're going we're going we get an interception and no lie it was tense, it was tense, it was tense up in this moment. But we get an interception, and we go ballistic. And you've experienced this, where all of a sudden, you're high-fiving strangers. There's this dude who, like, you wouldn't, come on, if you saw him in Walmart, you wouldn't even make eye contact with him. But you're, like, hugging him, you know, like, rubbing his belly, you know. I mean, you're just going nuts. And, and here's why. Here's why this is funny. But here, here's the reality. Here's the reality. You've experienced this. When you're in a situation like that, especially a hostile environment, and you have this commonality with someone, and you are invested in it. There is a sense of a community, regardless of where you're from, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you look like, because of the fact that you have at your core the exact same mission and interest as they do. And so, Paul—or not Paul—I'm sorry. So, so uh, Luke, as he's writing this, this account, who the book of Acts is written by, writes and says, "Come on." So all the believers, all the believers, when they got together, it was the most fascinating thing. When they got together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. And most of all, they devoted themselves. And as they had this common interest, this unity happened. This community happened. And they just gave of themselves. Because at the core of who they were was a desire For Jesus. And so he continues on. He says this. He said, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. In other words. And so it was a daily thing that they would go and they would learn. And it was a daily thing that they would go back to their houses and they'd have dinner together, and they'd spend time together, and they'd discuss. Perhaps what they'd learned that day. Perhaps what the temple reading had been about. Perhaps what they'd experienced in life. Perhaps they prayed for one another. In different parts, it talks about how the early church would, would encourage each other with spiritual songs. But day to day, they would go. And they would experience God in a corporate worship setting. And then they would go back to houses. And spend time with one another. It says, They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words, and then this thing happened that was so unexpected Then this thing happened, that as they gathered together, as they shared stuff, as they had gladness, as they had joy, as they felt community when they went back to their houses and joined and ate together, other people would see that and say, I want that. Other people would see that and say, there's something different about that group of people. Other people would see that and say, you know what, that's something that I want that I don't have is that community, is that camaraderie. Is that sense of somewhere you belong and someone you're becoming. And here's what's interesting about this. Let me, let me kind of pause in the, the whole sermon for a second. Here's what's interesting about this, especially, specifically I would say, if you're a church person in here. You've been going to church for a long time. You've been attending churches. Maybe you go to that church and then that church and then that church. Wherever you are. If you're a church person, I think inside each one of us we feel this. I really think that inside of each one of us, we feel the same need that they felt to learn. I think that we feel the same need that they felt to pray. I think that we feel the same need that they felt, which is to come together with other people. But the thing that I think that we get wrong is that we think that the summation of how that influences us spiritually is in corporate worship. When we, the whole church, come together when one person puts on a microphone and talks when you see everybody at church and here's the, here, let me just give you a little insight the church world sunday morning sunday morning is like the front door of church sunday morning is like the front door of what church is supposed to be It's the thing where everybody comes. It's the thing where everybody hears. It's the thing that we talk about the Bible and we talk about the Scripture. And it's the thing that we talk about how it applies to your life, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you are. But in community groups is where you grow. In community groups, as you open the Scripture for yourself, and don't hear someone talk about it, but talk about it for yourself, is where you begin to grow. Let me get church people. Come here. Let me tell you what I've seen. Lots of people who go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but never feel like they belong. People go to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, but never really experience growth. And in fact, this is the way we say it in you know, Christian language I just don't feel like I'm getting fed. Let me, let me just tell you, at our house, you don't eat at the front door. You eat at the dinner table, <laughs> living room, half the time. But this is the place, this is the po- position, this is the environment that you can get something, that you can learn, that you can grow, that you can understand. A lot of learning happens on Sunday, but let me just tell you, let me just tell you, growth, growth, growth happens In groups. Community happens in groups. And for the early church, for the early church, and this is what's so insightful about this, they had no idea what to do. They had no idea of church history. They had no idea of all the Christians before who went to community groups and small groups and Sunday schools and foyers. They had no clue about any of that stuff. All they knew is we have this common interest and it is of vital importance to my growth and to the growth of the church as a whole. For me to be connected with the people who have the same interests and the same goals that I do. Let me just tell you, learning happens on Sunday morning. Lots of learning happens on Sunday morning, but growth happens in groups. And I just think if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you ought to be in a group that this is absolutely critical and has always been absolutely critical to your spiritual growth and to my spiritual growth. Now, before we end, let me kind of discuss a couple of things. At the end of the sermon, you know, we're going to kind of dismiss you. And on the left, as you walk out, there's going to be uh, a table, and you can get all the information about our groups that we have here at our church. Maybe you're at from another church, and, you know, you're just visiting today. The and then I would just say, man, wherever your church is, you should go, and you should, you know, fully invest in your group. But let me, let me kind of say one thing to, just to the guys real quick. Okay, girls, this is going to be guy time for a second, so put your earmuffs on. Okay, guys, if you're a guy, let me, let me, let me tell you how we hear this. You hear this and you say, okay, so, here, so here's what you're telling me. You want me to go to a group, you want me to sit in a small circle with people, and you want me to talk about how I feel. <laughs> like, that's like every guy's worst nightmare, right? I mean, it's like, you know, your girlfriend's been saying that for years, your wife's been saying, "Oh, no, just tell me how you feel about it. And I'm like, I told you how I feel, I don't care, you know, that's exactly how I feel. Now, like, come, come guys. And, and, and frankly, honestly, if you're just in here in general and you're thinking about the possibility of joining a community group or joining a small group, you know, and, and like, there's so many insecurities that go into it because perhaps you walked in, maybe you don't know much about the Bible, you don't know much about scriptures, and you're going there saying, man, and so I'm going to have, you know, I was afraid when I walked in here with all these people that they were going to know that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> in a group of 10 people, they're definitely not going to know what I'm talking about. They're definitely going to know that I don't know what I'm talking about. And it's intimidating. It can be scary. There's tons of insecurities that come up as you enter into a group for the first time. Let me me just tell you, you, for the groups, for the groups, for the groups, when you go to a group, especially if you don't know very much, you will be the favorite person in that group. Let me just tell you, the group stories that I hear are never the group stories of the people who walked into the group and knew everything, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you're so spiritual. (laughs) You know you know, know what stories I hear? We had a member of somebody in our group came to our group for the first time and they loved it. They felt accepted. They felt cared about. But you know what was cool? We had somebody in our group who bought a Bible for the very first time in their life. We had a person in our group who prayed out loud for the very first time in their life. We had a person in our group who someone had been talking and someone who had been praying for, and they finally came to a group one day, and at some point in their group, that person decided that they finally felt comfortable as an adult with making Jesus their Lord and Savior. Those are the stories that keep us going. Those are the stories that I continually hear. Those are the stories... That when we come to, 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 together as group leaders, when we come together as an entire leadership team, that we celebrate. It's not that, oh my gosh, this spiritual person is just so spiritual. Let's all just marvel at their spirituality. It's this person who was so unsure, took a step, that perhaps they wouldn't have. That this person maybe who knew some Began to apply more. This person who just never, 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 never really took with them. It began to take as they joined a group. And this person who was already kind of mature became more mature in their group. And let me end with this. This might be the honest, unspiritual thing I say all year. So, again, this is, this is guy talk right now. Guys, this is a, this is a phrase that we adopted when I was in youth ministry. And that makes me terrified to say this because we're recording this. So let's edit this part out of the sermon. (laughs) Especially for guys, again, you're going to go to a group and they're going to ask you what you think and you don't know what to think. They're going to ask you what you, you know, they're hopefully not going to ask you what you feel, but maybe they will. You know, they're going to say, what do you think about this? How do you feel? How does this apply to your life? And you're sitting there saying, I don't know how it applies to my life, you know. And so what you're thinking, what you're thinking is, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Because if they ask me, I might have to share I might have to share, and I don't know what to share, and I don't want to share, and I don't like to share. So, 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 so here's what I want you to know. Okay, guys, this is for you. Girls, you're When you feel that, when you feel that, here's what I want you to repeat to yourself. It's simple, and it's memorable, and it may be the only thing that you remember today. When you're thinking about groups, but you don't want to share, fellas, I want you to say, grow a pair and share. All right? <laughs> grow a pair and share. Because, because, because there's something inside of us that, guys, that we like to be autonomous. There's something inside of us that, guys, guys, that we like to be independent. There's something inside of us that, guys, that we don't want to share. But when you get that feeling, when you get that feeling, let me tell you, it is so critical to your spiritual life. It is so critical to your growth. It is so critical to your maturity as a Christian that you join a group and you grow a pair and you share. And if that offends you, I never said a pair of what, so that's on you for your mind being in the gutter, just so you know. So, here's what I want you to do. As you leave today, perhaps as you go back to your home church, and your home ministry, wherever, wherever that is, I want you to join a group. I want 100% participation, because I think, especially if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian, You ought to, you ought to, you ought to be involved in a group because growth happens in groups. And come on, if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God, and you are going to become the people who you spend the most time around, what more important could you spend time doing than growing and being involved in a group for people who have the same desires, And the same interests as you do. And not that we want you to spend all of your time with Christians. But we do want you to grow. As you have community and fellowship. As you study the apostles' teachings. As you devote yourself to prayer. And to the breaking of the bread. We think and we are convinced in our entire church. Organizationally and functionally revolves around the fact that we are sold out to the idea that growth for the individual spiritual Christian and growth for the entire church happens in groups. So as you leave today, I don't know where you are, I don't know who you are, I don't know how invested, I don't know how many times you've been, but we want you to join a group because we just think every person, every person, every person needs to grow, and growth always happens in groups.